The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow our Facebook page and visit shadygrovepca.org. Do you pray with me? Father, even as we just read, we do ask that Psalm 73 would be true of us, that we would be singing this morning in our hearts, in our souls, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lord, I ask that for myself. I ask it for everyone in this room. Would you be our portion? Would you be our strength forever? Would you give us such great contentment in yourself for all the longings, every desire we have of life, for every, every itch, every want that we have? Would you make it a, a want that we give up, that we turn away from it, if it means not having you? But Lord, we... We desire to be so content in you. We desire this morning to see Christ, to be found in him, to rejoice in him and all the riches, all the blessings that we have in him. So Lord, we ask that you make it so. Would we feast on Christ our Savior from this song, from this song. We ask it in his name now. Amen. So our church has two pastors. I'm the associate pastor there and Uh, One of the the blessings of having two pastors is that it means uh, one of us can come and preach when it's needed. Um, And there's there's times where you go to a different church, and it is really exciting. You you get to worship with this congregation, this this body of believers that sometimes you don't know very well, and it is just a joy and delight to worship with God's household, his family. But uh, coming here, it's a little bit different. Uh, It is a great joy, and I, I think... God for this church. I'm so indebted to to this church, to so many of you. And I I know some of you don't know me, and uh, it is great to be worshiping with you this morning. Great to be diving into God's Word. But there there are so many of you that have poured into me so much, so many of you who I've gotten to do ministry alongside of um, Bruce and Charlie. I'm I'm just so thankful for them. Um, (laughs) And even over a long course of years, a transition from from being a pupil and annoyance uh, to being partners and friends and ministry. And just, just to catch up with, uh, with those brothers and, and with so many of you brothers and sisters, it's, it's such a joy. So thank you for, for inviting me back. And I figure since it's Youth Sunday and Bruce would typically be preaching, I've got at least an hour up here. Um, <laughs> sorry, Bruce. I, I think Bruce gets a bad rap for it. I, I don't think it's nearly as bad as we all make it out to be. Uh, and I'll, I'll prove for myself that it is just as bad as it is made out to be this morning. Uh, so buckle up. Um, well, I guess we should get into it eventually. Uh, so Psalm 73. Um, one of the, the families in this church that I've, I've loved to know over the years has been the Davidsons. And 
They have uh, opened up their cabin to different groups so many times in West Virginia. And Mitch has taken groups of us up there a lot of times. Uh, one, one time, I don't know if it was the end of high school or the beginning of college years or the middle of college years, we went up to their cabin and we were climbing up this quarry that's close by. And I, I was the, the first one leading the group and we we're about at the top. And the last ledge is it's about eye level height. So I was, I was reaching up there, trying to find a handhold, and I didn't feel anything very good. So, so I just dug my fingers into this moss and was climbing on up, scampered on up. And I didn't think anything of it at the moment. And I think Mitch was behind me. And, and as I'm standing on the top, he asked me, What did what you use for a handhold? And it wasn't until that moment that I realized. Maybe that wasn't such a great idea, right? I mean, if you know anything about moss, you know that it doesn't always stay where it's, it, it's laying. It can pull off, it can slip. I'm using these really tenuous, these treacherous hand holds and climbing up there. And, and Mitch behind me, he scrambles around a little bit to find an actual good hold. And as we're thinking about Psalm 73 this morning, That's kind of the picture it begins with. It begins with this really treacherous, this dangerous place. It is like the edge of a cliff covered with ice. It's this slippery slope. It is dangerous. And what is so dangerous about it? What makes this position so tenuous is envy. Here's a, a song that God gives his people to sing about the dangers of envy. It's a song of warning. It's a song singing to your own heart. Watch out. Watch out for those things that you might go after. Watch out for those cravings you might have. And as we're looking at envy from this psalm, one way I think you can describe envy, that Asaph would describe envy for us, is it's a longing, a craving, a desire that's separate from God or turns aside from God. A longing, a craving, a desire that's separate from God or moves away from God. And one of the ways you see that, that definition at work is there's times in your life where you might want the same thing, or, or there's two different people who might want the same thing. And everybody has desires, everybody has cravings, they have longings, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with a desire. A desire to see justice done, or a desire to do well on a test, a desire for promotion, a desire to see some blessing come into the life of your family member. And two different people could have any of those two desires, and one of them could be really filled with envy, and the other not. Even at different times in our own lives, we might have those same desires, and one of, at one moment it'd be filled with envy, and at one moment not. And that which turns it, that which twists it all around is Who, who am I seeking my contentment in? Who am I really seeking to rejoice in and rest in as I have this desire? And when my deepest contentment is not in the Lord, not in God himself, then it turns to envy. It turns to this desire that's warped. It, it wants this thing, and it doesn't really care about having God in it. This song, it is a song of warning, but it ends with such deep contentment in the Lord, such deep rejoicing in the Lord. He is my portion, my strength. 
He is my own, at my right hand, holding me fast continually. This is a song that just ends for those in Christ, singing of our contentment in our God, that I have Him. And there might be things I desire, I crave so badly, and when I don't have them, the question of envy is, can I still be content in my God? Or there might be things that I desire, I crave so badly. And the question when I get them is, am I just as content in my God? Or is this thing taking all of my contentment? Is my contentment in this? So this morning as we look through, the, the psalm really does have like two verses in a song. Verse 1 and verse 2. In the first verse, it's envying the arrogant. And then the second verse is contentment in our God. And the transition between verse 1 and verse 2 of this song is in verse 17. That's that's the hinge on which everything swings, on which everything turns. So we'll look first at this, this aspect of envying the arrogant. And it looks first at those around him. Asaph is focused on what does everybody around me have? And especially what do the arrogant around me have? But then you see that the look outside, the look to others, quickly turns to a look to himself. And even before diving into it itself, it's good to just recognize who this Asaph is. That this is the man who David appointed to be the chief singer of all God's people. This is a man we, we read in 1 Chronicles 16:7, who prophesied to God's people. This is a man who had a ministry in front of God's people leading them. And this is the man who says, I almost lost it all. I had almost slipped. I had almost stumbled. I almost gave up on it all. And even if I had spoken in that moment, I would have betrayed your people, God. I would have damaged your very precious ones. And when you think about your life and just the the danger, the warning of envy, Here's a a leader among God's people who says, it was a risk for me. I nearly lost it. And is there any falling away that happens? Is there any ministry failure that happens when envy is not a massive piece of it? It's a huge danger, a huge warning that God puts in front of us. And as Asaph is looking at the arrogant, in verse 3, you see that the prosperity of the wicked is in front of him. And even that prosperity, it's the word for peace or the word for shalom. It's this word that God so often gives as a promise to his people. I will give you peace. I'll give you shalom. And Asaph looks around and he's saying, it looks like the arrogant have it. It looks like those who shouldn't have this promise from God are walking around with it all the time. They're the ones who are enjoying the fat of this life, the the choice portions in this world. If you look at verse 6, they're they're wearing pride as this badge of honor as they go around life. They're just boasting of all that they've done, all that they have accomplished. In verse 9, you see that they strut about, their tongues strut about in the earth just listing accomplishment after accomplishment, boast after boast. This is what I've done. This is what my hands have made. This is what I've acquired. 
In verse 8, they just see, seem like they're in such a lofty, a high position as Asaph is looking at them. Everything is going well for them. And the only thing they lack are all the troubles, all the pains of this life. It seems like all the sorrows that are so heavy upon Asaph are totally absent from the life of the proud, of the arrogant. It's going so well for them that God's people see these, these ones who are making much of themselves. And in verse 10, they're turning back to them. They, rather than finding fault in them, they're saying, that, that does look pretty nice. I want what they have. I want that ease. I want that, that success. I want that loftiness, that height. And these people, they're so clearly opposed to God. And yet it's causing God's people to wonder and doubt. In verse 11, they see that they're making these great boasts before God himself, the Most High. Does he see? Does he know what we're doing? Can he be real? And even God's people are starting to to ask questions and wonder. They see it working so well for them. Is all that we've heard true? Is it going to be so? And as Asaph has been looking at these people in envy, wanting what they want, this is so often the, the pattern that it goes on, that we look at what others have, and then it, it immediately causes us to turn our eyes back to ourselves. Here's all that they have, and here's all that I don't have. Here's all that I could want. And that's what's happening with Asaph. He looks back at all the pain in his own life, in verse 13, he's, he's strived, he's so, he works so hard to keep a clean heart before the Lord. And as he keeps going, he's, he's got this question on his mind. Look at what they who haven't gone after this have, and I don't. And has it been worth it? I've toiled, I've labored for obedience, I've labored to seek the Lord, and here life is just falling apart before me. Is it worth it? Have I done what's right, what's best? And the answer he lands at in a place of weakness in verse 15. Or sorry, verse, in verse 16, is that it's not. In this place of weakness, I think he would even go so far as to say, in vain, useless. I've labored after this. And it's only got to me trouble. And that's what his eyes, that's what his sight is telling him right in front of his face. That all of this obedience, all of this seeking after God, it has not seemed worth it. It seemed like trouble and hardship and pain and labor where there is so much else I could have. And this is a psalm where it's really helpful to just look at it, and as you're looking at envy, as you're thinking about it, to pray Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And even asking that of ourselves when it comes to this idea of envy, Lord, search out those areas where I'm prone to go after things. Search out where I'm I'm prone to leave the God I love, prone to wander, prone to want this life, 
even if it means not having you with it. Search out those cravings, those desires I have that don't keep my deepest desire, my deepest delight in you yourself. And what are those areas in life where we're, we're prone to turn? We're prone to go after them. Is it, is it just fun? Is it just experience? Is it memories? Is it the praise we receive from others? Is it rest and peace? Whose personality or position or possessions or praise do you just wish you had? What are your dreams and desires? What are those things in life that you, you just so desperately want? Maybe another way of saying it is, uh, is obedience a delight or is it a burden? Is obedience wearisome to you? Does it not seem like it's worth it? Do you spend a lot of time looking at what others have and what you don't have? Turning it to, to prayer. Uh, for me personally, this is one that cuts a little bit more deeply. Do I just spend a lot of time in prayer, delighting in the very presence of my God, delighting to be near to him, enjoying most of all him himself? Or am I lazy in that front? Am I slow to prayer, quick to want other things before my God? It all changes for Asaph. This envy morphs into contentment in his God. In verse 17, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. If you think of putting your hand right in front of your eyes, you can do it now if you want, you're not going to see much else than your hand. That's going to steal all of your focus. You're not going to see around it. And Asaph, he has spent a lot of time looking at the arrogant. He's been looking at what others have and what he doesn't have, and he's missed everything beyond that. He's missed the bigger picture. And the question he's answering for us is, all right, when, when did my hand get pulled down? When was it that I started to see the bigger picture? And it's in worship. The time when it all changed, the time that God used in my life, was when I gathered with his people. When I stood before him, when I heard from his word. He spent so much of life with his sight interpreting God and life for him. He looked around him, and what he saw, he used to interpret life and interpret his God. And now it all changes in worship. And this is what happens with us when we gather and worship, as we sing, even as we read in Colossians earlier, earlier these songs and hymns and spiritual songs to each other. As the word of Christ dwells in us richly, God starts to pull the hand down from our eyes. And he shows us, all of life, not interpreting him in light of life and in light of sight, but he starts to interpret sight in light of himself. This is the deeper reality. This is what is going on. And now Asaph starts to get it. I saw, and again, it begins with Asaph looking at the arrogant and then looking at himself. I saw their end. I saw what was going on for them. And while they looked so established, so high, 
Their position was so dangerous. In each half of this psalm, in verse 1 and in verse 18, you get the start of this word truly. Here's a true vision given to Asaph, a bigger picture, the right reality, and is given to him from his God. He sees the world as it truly is. And he sees how dangerous a position he was actually in before. In 2017, this movie uh, Free Climb or Free Solo came out, and it was this man, Alex Hanold, who uh, climbed um, El Capitan and Yosemite free, right? No ropes, no harnesses, no anything, just his own hands and a bag of chalk. And this is a 3,000-foot climb. It is dangerous, it's technical. And as he's climbing up this this cliff face, the man who's filming all of this was actually his friend and another climber, Jimmy Chen. And he had these huge reservations about filming Alex as he was climbing this because Jimmy knew that if if you're a free climber and you keep doing this, it's what kills you. Free, free climbers don't live forever if they keep free climbing. All it takes is one slip, one mistake, and it's over. And so he has these real reservations as he's filming Alex doing this climb. But one of the things we see is that going about life without worship, Going about life in isolation from God's people, not coming into a Sunday morning, apart from his word, apart from prayer, it's a lot like free climbing. It is a dangerous place to be. There's so much risk there. This is where this word opened up, this word sung to one another, this word enjoyed from our God to us with each other. This is what keeps us safe. This is our rope while climbing. This is what refocuses our gaze on our God. This is what God uses in our lives. I know Bruce so often aims these these youth uh, Sundays at the graduating seniors. And from this passage, as you're going out from here, as you're moving to the next thing, find a church. Find a people, find a sanctuary where you will go in with God's people and hear it word clear to you. And the same is true for all of us. We need this fellowship. We need to come into God's presence with his people to hear the deeper reality because life is barraging us day in and day out with the alternative, with what we can envy, what we need, what we should have, what we don't have. And here it is where our eyes are locked on our God. And especially where our eyes are locked on our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it makes us realize, he is who I have. And if I have him, what do I really lack? If I have my Christ, what do I need to envy? Who do I need to envy? As Asaph is looking through this, he sees the actual position of the arrogant, of the proud, of those apart from God. And he sees its ruin and terror in verses 18 and 19. They look so established, so solid and firm. And then in verses 20 and 21, he sees they're like a dream. 
They're like a phantom. They seem like the most established ones in all of the world. And yet there's going to be a day when they have to stand before God. And a good summary, I think, of all of Psalm 73 is in Jesus' words to his disciples. Whoever finds life, or whoever finds his life in this world, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What can a man give in exchange for his life? Or what, can a, or what will benefit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And here he's saying, it does them nothing to gain everything in this life. They're actually in this place where they're a phantom, they're a mirage. It looks so stable, but they are just fading. They look in this established place, but they're going to topple. And on that day, with all that they have, with everything they've accumulated, there's going to be nothing that they can offer to the judge of all for their souls. All of it is going to be worthless. They're the ones who are going to say, in vain, I've spent my life looking for this, looking to this, and now it benefits me nothing. And as Asaph looks at them, he also looks back at himself, and it leads to humility. In verse 22, he says, I was ignorant. I missed the bigger picture. My hand was right in front of my eyes, and that was all I was looking at earlier. When I, was almost, when I had almost slipped, when I had almost fallen away. So it's this humility that leads to such gratitude. But God, I would have lost my way. I was teetering off this cliff, and I would have been gone. And yet, you held me. You hold my right hand. The only reason my sight has been restored, the only reason I see anything as it truly is, is because you, God, have been gracious to me. You, my Lord, have kept me. This is a man who is so grateful. In the Gospels, we see Christ again and again opening the eyes of the blind. And as he does this in his ministry while he was on earth, we see our God continually doing this for those who are spiritually blind. And for ourselves who have come to him already, if that's you, our God continues to open our eyes again and again through his word in worship. In John 17, the way that Jesus prayed, this is his last prayer as he's with his disciples, the prayer he's making in front of them. And in verse 26, he says before his father in prayer, I've made your name known to them, and I will continue to make it known so that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What our Savior does for us through his word in worship is just as profound as giving sight to the blind. He opens our eyes to deeper spiritual truths. He continually makes God known to us so that God himself may dwell in us and that the love that the Father has for his Son may be in us. The end of Christ opening the eyes of the blind, of, of giving us this renewed focus, the end of it is always intimacy with our God, nearness to him who has loved us, who has kept us, 
As Christ opens our eyes, any time you're in worship and you have this sense, who is this God? How gracious he is, how merciful he is, how good he is. His steadfast love endures forever. Look at all of these benefits I have in my Savior, my forgiveness, my adoption, my nearness. Anytime it strikes you just how marvelous, how good the gospel is, how good your Savior is, how good your God is, that is Christ refocusing you, pulling down that hand. And every time he does it, our thought should be, how gracious he is to me. How caring he is for me that he would give me this sight, that he would lock my gaze on himself again. And the same holds true for any warning. Any time we're sitting in worship and we have that sense of what have, what have I done? What have I been wanting? What have I been craving apart from my God? Again, it's our Savior opening our eyes even exposing our envy and his goodness, drawing us to himself. Worship is like the, the exam room, the operation room, and our Savior is our spiritual eye doctor. This is where he does his operations. This is where he locks our gaze on himself as we hear from him. This is our God holding us by his right hand drawing us to himself. For the arrogant, if you look in verse 27, it's this terrifying thing to be near the Lord. Behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. It is a terrifying thing for a sinner, for those far off to come before the Lord their God. It is just ruin and destruction. But look at what Asaph says. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. There's no place that Asaph would rather be than in the very presence of his God. There's nothing better for him than to be near this God who has loved him, who has kept him, who has shown himself to be his portion and his strength, his cup. Psalm 27 is on Asaph's lips. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my, the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of my Lord and to seek him in his temple. For the people of God, that which gives us such confidence and such peace to draw near before our God is to see how he has opened the way for us to come, how he has longed to have us, how he has brought us in. Listen to Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Listen to how God has opened the way for those far off to be brought near and to what confidence he gives. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, how? By the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, 
and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. As you hear of the blood of Christ, it is this picture for us of how deeply our God has wanted us. And it's a picture for us of how completely he has saved us. That here we can come near to our God and there is nothing better. There's no greater confidence we could have because Christ has given his life on the cross as a ransom for many. There's no greater confidence we could have. We see him raised to life, declared with power to be the son of God in whom there's victory, in whom there's a redemption. And as I come near to God, confessing his name, I have so much confidence that to be near to God is the greatest place to be. Here's a God who has been gracious to me, who has saved me, who has brought me near to him and made me his own. Here's God who, as I draw near to him and worship with his people, there should be the deepest contentment in me. Here's my portion. Here's my strength. Here's the delight of my heart. Just look at how Asaph does own the Lord. Look at those personal pronouns he uses. This is my portion. This is the strength of my heart. You hold my right hand. You got me with your counsel. Afterwards, you will receive me into glory. Asaph knows the Lord in an intimate and a personal way. This is one whom the Lord has brought near to himself. It's in our Savior, it's in Christ that we have such confidence to come near. That God has done it all. All to him I owe. He has opened the way for me to draw near with confidence, with great delight in him. In verse 25, you have this, this wonderful prayer of Asaph who has seen his God. Whom have I in heaven but you? And Lord, if it meant not having you, there is nothing I desire apart from you. I want nothing if it means not having you, my God, my delight. We were looking at Amos this, this morning, and Amy was pointing out to me, there's this, this wonderful way in which in Amos throughout the Lord, you have so many times where he declares, uh, or thus declares the Lord, thus says the Lord. And it's that phrasing every time until the very end of Amos. And there, the Lord changes it just slightly. And he gives this massive promise to his people of how he's going to restore them. And then he says, thus says the Lord, your God. You see him giving himself to his own, seeking to delight his people with his very presence. I don't, I don't know if this is still the case, but when I was growing up, Nintendo uh, consoles only had two buttons on them. One was the power switch, and the other was the reset button. And, and it's kind of ironic that um, the only time I remember pressing the reset button is because the system would crash or freeze or something like that. Uh, and it's kind of ironic that this, this company would make us a game console knowing that's going to be a problem, right? It's going to need to be reset. But we're the same way. There are times when our gaze will freeze. 
There are times when it's going to crash and it's going to be fixed on something else than the Lord. And in those moments, we need him to press the reset button. And in worship, it's where he presses it. This is where we see the end of those apart from our God. This is where we see how good it is to draw near to our God. This is where we see our end for those who are in him, what he has prepared for us. Whom have I in heaven but you? You keep me now, you guide me now, and after you words you will receive me into glory. This is a song to sing when you find yourself slipping into envy. This is a song to sing when you find yourself even at the moment where you're, you're saying, I'll give it all up. I'm about, I'm about ready to throw in the towel of faith to go after this. More so, this is a song to sing to keep you contented in your Christ, to sing how good your God is and how delightful it is to be near him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you, you would give us the greatest delight at drawing near. And also as we see our Christ given for us, who laid down his life for us, Give us the greatest contentment at drawing near with confidence that we are yours even as you are ours. Help our hearts to think that I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. You guide us now. You hold us by your right hand. And afterwards you will receive us into glory. Lord, whom have we in heaven but you? And would you make it so that there was, is nothing on earth that we desire apart from you? By your grace, keep our eyes open. Keep us delighted in you, our portion, our cup, our strength, our refuge, now and always. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.